I don't even really like milk, but if I can like it's like gross. artificial milk, like I'll send you a video. You won't like milk after that. I already don't. It's like <laughs> extra curdled dumb. uterus juice. Oh my god, curdled <laughs> uterus juice, gross. <laughs> Five. You want to start? Yes. All right. So you're listening. <laughs> you're listening. You're yep. listening to Texas 1031. And you probably already know this, but if it's your first time listening, we are a true crime podcast specifically pertaining to cities in Texas. Um, 1031 is actually a police code for crime in progress as well. And then it happens to be the murder. <laughs> the date to our favorite holiday, Halloween. Um, we're your hosts, Cassie and Hannah. It like wouldn't be an intro without Cassie messing up. It wouldn't be. No. <laughs> uh, so like she said, you guys already probably know this, but if you guys want to contact us or check out our social media, go to our website. It's Texas1031podcast.com. You'll find all of our links to our social media and where to listen to us on all the podcast listening places. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, the name of our website and social media accounts have no dashes, no spaces, no capitalizations or numbers, just all spelled out. And uh, don't forget, if you guys are on iTunes, please rate, review and subscribe before you finish this episode. We have had a few more uh, reviews and ratings and they've turned out pretty good. So thank you guys uh, in advance. Um, yeah. And so um, every week we bring you two murder cases that we both will discuss. This week we have one in Hearst, Texas, and the other is in Odessa, Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, We really hope you guys enjoy this week's episode, and thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Yeah, episode nine. Yay! I semi-looked up your uh, topic today, and I thought it said Tarrant County, so it was nice to hear Hearst because my brother lives near there. Oh, wow, okay. Kind of creepy. And it is Tarrant County. Hearst is... I don't know why they always say counties, because that's annoying. I know. Like, and just say the city, dude. I feel like, like a no lot lately I'm hearing Tarrant County mm. murderer, Tarrant County this, that. <laughs> and I feel like I've covered like two or three in Tarrant yeah. County. I don't want to live in Tarrant County. No. Tell your brother to be careful. Right. Uh, <laughs> speaking of my brother, my mom actually gave me the... I wrote this down. My mom told me that she talked to him the other day. And he was like, I listened to the, I, th- I think she said it was like the newest episode we did. So episode eight about uh, Deanna Laney and Corianne and uh, that he listened to it on some drive with his friend from maybe Bryan, Texas. So like College Station, essentially. Oh, right. Yeah. And he was like, it was good. It'll get better. And I was like, that's <laughs> fine. I don't care. It's Damn, great. He listened <laughs> to the most tangenty episode, too. Like, I listened to yes it. Yes and no. I thought it was good tangents, though. I did, too. I, like, like I, nothing I legitimate. thought, uh, yeah, I, I didn't regret saying anything I no. said. We went on very passionate tangents mm-hmm. because we were passionate about the That's why I kept everything in there, mm-hmm. for the most part. I think maybe I cut out, like, two things. No, yeah. I was, I was like, 
I sound stupid. She sounds stupid. So yeah. let's just cut that out. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but Otherwise, no, they were close to our hearts. Yeah. In some shape or form. So. Yeah. So if that was the first episode people listened to, like if you're listening right now and episode eight was the first episode you listened to, listen to the ones prior. Especially, no, don't. Well, I mean, the, the okay, audio has gotten mine. better. Don't listen to the first three because it's just myself. So listen to the other ones and you'll hate the audio. But like you were going to say, continue. Sorry. Well, yeah. Well, no. What I was, it's just you'll get kind of like those prior ones are more like our jive like what we do what our format is like going on big tangents isn't really our format it will happen but also the ones that you did by yourself are really good because i had no i had no one to go on a tangent with well i've recommended them to a lot of people and and we got so many listens yeah so a, a lot of people there was one um listener who i don't know if she's like just listening to that one episode or if she's listening right now it'd be super cool um but she said she actually knows cheryl atkinson's <gasps> family stop yeah so cool I yeah that. that's and awesome and they had just recently been um she told us to look it up so we'll have to look I it hope up i did um, it justice yeah yeah. She, she thought you did a good job. Okay, she cool. said if we ever wanted to interview the family <gasps> or like talk to that, she would set something up. You oh, know? my God. I know. Whoa. Yeah. And cool. it was it was really cool because that made me feel really happy for what we're doing. Yeah. Because you. That maybe no one else has done a podcast about it. Yeah. Or I mean, obviously people have talked about it, but maybe not a podcast. So that's yeah. Cool. You, you touched to this one person oh. that knew this poor Poor pretty Cheryl, and she was really cute. She really was. Yeah. She had that poofy hair. I Baby loved it. Hair, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so speaking of listeners, I uh, found this out like right before Cassie came over. We've we have over a thousand listens. <gasps> like total. Yeah. Oh. Which I don't know about like downloads, followers, whatever you want to call it, but over a thousand people have listened to our episodes. That's which so is cool. really cool. Yeah. So top countries. I wrote this down. So obviously, U.S. Second is UK. Third is Australia. Fourth is a doozy. It's uh, it's Egypt. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Kind of cool. Dig and that. then uh, we have some in Norway, Peru, Turkey, Venezuela, Russia, Mexico. So there's stuff all across the board. But I thought that the uh, Egypt thing was kind of random. Um, specifically, <laughs> I guess I don't know who this person is, but I found it in one of the statistics. So I guess I just want to say thank you to our one listener from Seabrook. Uh, the first thing that popped up was Seabrook, Texas. So I'm assuming, you know, Seabrook is kind of a generic uh, town slash city name, but I can only assume it's the Texas one just based of, you know, from where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that person has listened to us the most. So thanks. <gasps> oh, person. shout out to Seabrook. Yeah. Oh, we'll try to find near, something uh, near you. Slash like Kima, like coast ish area. Oh, cool. All yeah. right. So like right in the killing fields, maybe? Uh, <laughs> it's like a, it's Galveston-ish. Cool. Um, you want to talk about Charles Manson? Good fucking riddance. <laughs> like he is so. I saw so many people on my Instagram feed and on my Facebook mm-hmm. feed, just like sad that he died and and sensationalizing him. Sad, and, really? Yeah. Wow. And mm-hmm. everyone forgets, like, like you can pull cool quotes from every serial killer. Yeah. I have a T-shirt that has a badass Bundy quote on. Yeah, it. we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. But you can't. You cannot forget about what they did, and he. Everyone's like, he didn't physically Murder ever kill anyone, anyone yeah. but he he. He mm. did. He he was in the mines. He fed these kids acid, and he went along with everything. And he was the ringleader of their little family. Mm. And so he could have put a stop to it if he wanted to, and he didn't. Uh, I'm actually not a big Charles Manson fan. Not in the sense of like, 
oh, I can't believe what he did. But I just like we've talked about this before. I'm not a cult. Yeah. Uh, I don't really give a shit about that stuff. I don't know yeah. why because I literally spent three days lis- binge listening to like a three part thing about Jim Jones and all that. Or is it Jim Jones? Yeah. Jim Jones and all the the Kool-Aid stuff or whatever. And it was really, really interesting. A lot of good detail. But I was just like, ugh, when is this over? It's just cults are not my thing. And so I just never really gave Charles Manson a second thought. We don't care. No. (laughs) Literally. Good riddance. So tell me your recommendation. So we watched... MFM did, uh, Karen mentioned this, and I had totally forgotten she mentioned it until I think the opening... The opening scenes of this movie um and it's called wind river i mean some of the best acting i've seen in a very long time it kept me very interested they didn't we had you have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. you i mean you, there's nothing that you can guess there's nothing it's just it pulls at your heartstrings like i cried it made me think a lot i actually thought about it like my next day on my way to an account um I thought about it and I could not stop thinking about one particular wow. scene in the movie and I started crying and it's it, it's a very profoundly touching movie and wait tell everyone what it's about in case they don't listen okay to my favorite so um basically Elizabeth Olsen plays an FBI agent who is called in to, she was the you know the closest person to this town in Wyoming yes um snow-covered town in Wyoming um Jeremy Renner plays a hunter um he finds a young girl's body um basically frozen in the snow and he reports it he is close to the family of the victim and they basically are just trying to solve this murder and it's a true crime you know she's like native american she's native american right word um they don't they kind of take you for a loop at the end because they're not focusing on the fact that she's a native american Mm -hmm. woman they focus a lot on how Native American reservations are not, they, they get no attention from police, they get no attention from law enforcement, anything at all. It is so good. And they keep it, there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of like intriguing, if you're a true crime fan, this is the oh movie gosh, for okay. you. I need to watch it. Such a good movie. Cool. So good. That's my recommendation. All right. Well, if you listen to MFM, you've already been recommended. Now it's twice. Mm-hmm. So. Go support Mary-Kate and Ashley's sister. Dude, she's such a good actress. Yeah, she's really cute. She's so like, good. She looks like them but doesn't. Yeah. Because like, that's what happens when you're a sister. <laughs> okay, so Cassie is first this week? Yes. So um, as always, I would like to say the name of the victim first. We're talking about the murder of Terry Hawkinson. Um, and the accused is Frank Basil McFarland. Um, so February 1st, 1988 in Hearst, Texas, which is a suburb northeast of Fort Worth, so North Texas again, um, Terry Hawkinson was seen in the parking lot of the First Methodist Church in Hearst, stumbling as if she was intoxicated, calling for help, um, and she was seen by three teenage boys. She collapsed, and it was found that she had been repeatedly stabbed. But she was conscious, and she was very able to tell two of the three boys that she thought she knew the men who did this to her. Um, But she realized when she got in their car that she did not actually know them. Um, A police officer who was on his, you know, normal patrol happened 
upon it. Um, she gave him details and gave him the same statement. She thought she knew the men, but when she got in the car, she realized she did not. Um, this officer was Officer Myers. Um, Terry, the 26-year-old shoe shinist, um, at a Fort Worth topless bar. So... So you can picture the... Never mind. So she was a shoe shinist um, at a Fort Worth topless bar called the Continental Club. Um, she died the next morning in the hospital, suffering from 79 stab wounds. Jeez, you just threw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> she was found um, by the police officer and the three boys about 500 feet away from her purse, her shoes, her watch, and one gold earring. A month later, in March of 1988, Frank Basil McFarland was arrested. Um, Frank is a 20, was at the time a 26-year-old electrician um, who had graduated with his GED. In this case, there were a few witnesses um, that investigators were in contact with uh, when, of course, they started investigating her homicide. Um, there was Angela Autry, who saw Terry leave the Continental Club with two men. Um, the owner of the club, Cheryl Kep, saw her leave with two men as well. One was one she very specifically named as Timothy Todd. I'm going to omit his last name because this is where a thing comes in. A thing? Speculation? I found this guy on Facebook. <gasps> after Do you think I... it's the same name? Or is his name that? Oh. Uh... It's is the it? same person because I messaged him. Oh my gosh! Oh, this is what you, this is why I got in, this is why I got in trouble. <laughs> so I looked up um, Timothy. We're gonna omit his last name because he's a very real person, still alive today. Um, he had he lives in Indiana now, and he had I found him on. I just typed him in because I was like, if this if the owner named a specific person, I mm-hmm. should look him up. Um, he got arrested recently for a DWI. He's in his 50s now. Um, he has a couple kids. Found his Facebook page. He looks like a normal dude. Um, so I messaged him pretending that I was trying to find a long-lost friend of my dad's. And I asked him if he lived in the Fort Worth Hearst area in 1988. And he said yes. And I was like... Oh my like, God. Wouldn't that be a dead giveaway to that guy? Like, mm, I know. What was I doing in Hearst in 1988? Right. But whatever. So I, I, <laughs> I panicked. Um, especially because Brennan was sitting there. And I told him, I was like, I don't want to tell you what I did. But I have to tell you what I did. And I mean, he was like... like he's going to reach through the computer and stab you. Right. Yeah. Time. He was whatever. like, if you think this guy might be involved in the crime, why would you contact him using Facebook? Why not? When he get out? Oh, yeah. I guess it's yeah. you. But, all right. Yeah. I but, see uh, I, I told him I was like oh I actually had the guy's name wrong um, his first name was Thomas sorry have a good day but mm. I was thinking Smith, Smith. we'll keep going with my crime but I was thinking maybe it could be interesting if I could be like hey actually I was lying um, I'm doing research on this crime and your name popped up um, tell me about Terry me tell me what she was like yeah because yeah. you knew her and so he I was a customer yes okay and so I thought maybe I could try to interview him. That'd help. be cool. Yeah, he lives in Indiana. And Brennan was like, "What people lie about where they live all the time. But he was arrested in Indiana. Mm-hmm. His pictures are geotagged in Indiana. His kids page, I, oh man, I went in the rabbit hole. Man. But his kids are in Indiana. So he lives Let's in Indiana. Live. Yeah. So um, Timothy <laughs> was, you know, seen with her as she was leaving by the owner of the club. The three teenagers who found her, um, all boys, 
they all saw a white car with a red roof drive away from the church. Um, those boys' name, their last names were Warren, Myers, and Rich. Um, oh, wow. I'm just now realizing it's Rich. When I was writing it and reading it, I was saying Rick. <laughs> it's R-I-C-H. Like, it's obviously Rich. He needs to go back to second grade. It's fine. <sighs> I don't know even why I threw that in there. If you're going to make fun of me. <laughs> So they all saw a white car with a red roof drive away. Um, what was alleged of McFarland was that he met Hawkinson at the club while he patronized. Um, she was working and, you know, he met her, they left, and that's why he was formally charged with the murder of 26-year-old Terry Hawkinson. Moving right along into the trial, which began on October 26, 1989, in Tarrant County Court, um, the presiding judge was Don Leonard. The prosecutors for the state were Claire Theodore and Ken, it's D-I-E-S, so dies. Um, it's probably D-I-E-S, something like that. And his defense, excuse me, his defense attorney was, defense attorney, Jesus God, was Tolly Wilson. <laughs> um, McFarland pled not guilty. It was alleged that he and a co-defendant, Michael Wilson, met Terry at the nightclub, invited her out to a party, and then took her to Hearst Park, raped her, and stabbed her, leaving her to die in the church parking lot. Michael Wilson was killed a month after Terry. Hmm. He was murdered by gunshot. The testimonies that came up during the trial uh, came from one Rachel Revel, who was the deceased Wilson's girlfriend. She said she overheard a conversation where he, the deceased, confessed to his involvement in the crime and implicated McFarland as the killer. Um, Mark Noblet also alleged that Wilson confided in him in a hotel room. Revel, though, was an illegal immigrant who possibly felt pressure from the cops. We'll go more into that later. Noblet was a known police informant with a record. Noblet walked away from an arrest warrant the day after the trial ended. Um, and it was stated that he committed perjury about Wilson's testimony, which could have been rebutted by his own mother or Larry York, neither of whom were called to the stand to testify. York was actually in the hotel room with Noblet and Wilson and witnessed the conversation. Um, more into that later. Mm -hmm. Of the three boys who saw Terry before she died, only two spoke to her. Those two provided sworn statements during the investigation, neither of whom were called to testify. So basically the state failed to turn these statements over to defense so they could use this as evidence. That's not legal. Yeah. Right? It's not. Well, yeah. it's it's... Unless they it's don't probably, know about it, then it's not illegal. But exactly. if they do know that it exists, then it's illegal. And it's refusal. Yeah. Okay. So the only reason this was Good. found out, it was found Perfect. six years later through a Freedom of Information Act Perfect. request. Yes. Great. Um, five officers and a 911 dispatcher uh, testified at trial that the boys said they saw a blue car. None mentioned a blue car, only white. In their sworn statements, only a white car is ever mentioned. McFarland drives a blue car. Hmm. Um, the forensics of this case, there was, a, there was some hair found in Terry's hands, um, of course, indicating that she struggled. Mm, so good for, for her. Yeah. Um, and semen was found in her body. She was raped. The FBI special agent uh, Blythe 
did an analysis of the hair found in her hands and the hair did not match or nor was consistent with any hair found on the deceased Wilson or on McFarland. Okay. The semen matched McFarland's but also 6% of the Caucasian male population. So that should be inconclusive. I mean, 6% doesn't sound like a lot, but compared to the whole white male population, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, there was also hair from a rabbit skin coat found in McFarland's car mm-hmm. that matched one that Terry was wearing or that Terry owned. His girlfriend had a very similar coat and his girlfriend had been in her car, his car before. This was left out of the trial. Um, it That's wasn't, so not okay. Right. I'm sorry. It wasn't brought to light, um until the sentencing so way too late jury has already made up their mind the cough that spoke to terry the night you know when he took her statement as she was basically dying underwent hypnotism to enhance his recall he then claimed she had said two white men she met at the club had raped and stabbed her not only one witness with questionable character, um, as the aforementioned uh, Noblet, but there were two. Another witness had warrants out for his arrest that were dismissed the day after the trial ended. The co-defendant's murder, Wilson, mm-hmm. though McFarland was never charged with it, prosecution throughout the trial suggested that he had a hand in Wilson's murder. You can't do that. It's no. not about that. It's like hearsay. it's about something else. Like uh, it yeah. shouldn't that's not it literally is not a thing. You're not allowed. You're not you you shouldn't like, you be able to do be, that. No. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't have words because it's literally not allowed. You're think, not allowed to talk about that stuff. The, yeah. Okay. Yes. That judge sucked, but it's fine. Oh yeah. Um the real murderer was caught six years later and had no connections to McFarlane whatsoever. So that was wrapped up nice and tight. Um, the police officer testified that Terry, the, one of the police officers that spoke to her and took her statement, testified that Terry did know McFarland before the murder. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not the one that took, but... A police officer. Right. One of the investigative police officers testified that Terry did know McFarland before the murder. Um which but is possible she, because of customer Yeah, he could have yeah. probably patronized the Continental Club. But she didn't name him before she died. She had time to name him. Mm-hmm. She was very conscious. Um, and that bolstered the defense's position that her assailants were strangers to her, um, which she had said. Wilson's girlfriend's testimony was hearsay because she was testifying what a dead man had said. Um, that's hearsay... But the other stuff wasn't hearsay. hearsay, Right. That was. That's fine. Um, My next little section is the state fuck up. (laughs) They brought up evidence about McFarland's character and acts of misconduct during trial, which should have been deemed inadmissible. It was not. The uh, acts of misconduct. He had made a derogatory comment to a woman, kind of joking which this is never a joke and by no means is it okay but he had said to a woman kind of jokingly like oh if if you get into my car i might just rape you and that woman testified um but that was it should have been deemed inadmissible because it was not pertinent to the exact case it was just a hit on his character because she never filed charges he was never it was a 
she didn't go through with anything. It was so a juvenile yeah. misconduct that was on his record, but, but he I mean, had no prior time, record. It really goes, at least for the prosecution's case, it goes right. to help them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I can see for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, the defense fuck up, which <laughs> more than one, they provided no evidence of Terry and Frank McFarlane knowing each other already, which they did. They also failed to present that Frank's girlfriend had a similar rabbit coat and had been in the car before. And they failed to present the two star witnesses that could have rebutted Mark Noblet's testimony, which were Noblet's own mother and Larry York. Um, McFarlane, who had no prior record other than that juvenile offense of sexual assault, no mental illness, and despite the mounting unfairness in his case, was convicted and sentenced to death on November 13th of 1989. Some of the issues with this... A woman matching Terry's description were seen by two different witnesses at the Manhattan bar. Um, they said that Terry arrived alone and then left with two men. McFarland was maybe, possibly, hearsay-ish, I believe, a small-time drug dealer with his friend Wilson. Rachel Revel, Wilson's girlfriend uh said that the men showed up at her apartment with injuries and blood-soaked clothing and said that they had to get rid of a girl who knew about their dealing um this was different from her original statement which she gave to police in kind of a conference call situation before her boyfriend's funeral did she testify she did she she did testify um this the investigators Investigator Craig Teague admitted that they discussed her illegal status Mm, during this phone call. Um, So since it was not in her original sworn statement, it is believed that she was coerced to kind of bend to the state's will because of her status as an illegal immigrant. Um, McFarland filed two appeals, one in 1993 and one in 1996. Uh, He was told that he could not appeal this conviction without a writ of habeas corpus so he filed one. Oh, geez um the court had to take a look at his claims that helpful stuff was withheld witnesses shouldn't should have been dismissed because they had questionable past um, they had records um they had legal statuses they could have been coerced by police um that and when i say key witnesses were withheld so key witnesses that could have rebutted the prosecution star witness mm-hmm. they were all withheld um his appeals both failed and i read through them it's way too much for me to write down and then reiterate um they're very valid they're we're gonna go more into it in the questions and theories but it was very valid um and despite his unfair trial he was denied he was granted one stay of execution and then was eventually executed by lethal injection on april 29th 1998 um So, his final statement. I owe no apologies for a crime I did not commit. Those who lied and fabricated evidence against me will have to answer for what they've done. I know in my heart what I did, and I call upon the spirit of my ancestors and all of my people, and I swear to them now I am coming home. So, um, we're just going to move into the theories <laughs> and because we can't hold them back any longer. Um, no, my first, the what? first thing I wrote. Yeah. He may what? have been a small time drug dealer. Fine. But he had no off- offenses. 
of that nature. I think this was pinned on him. I think the cops saw an easy target. I think they saw that they could connect him because he was maybe at the Continental Club that night. For sure. And I think another key witness, his co-defendant, was murdered. So they cool. didn't have anyone else to. They just got to get one to. guy yeah. down. Yeah. Um, why? Like, I think his defense attorneys. They fucked up royally, like very incompetent in this mm-hmm. case. I don't know what your thoughts on that part are because I feel like his trial is com- like I'm usually on the side of the defense attorneys because even if someone <laughs> did it, they need a fair trial. Yeah, yeah. This was completely bungled. Like, yeah, there's no. I wrote down like there's no evidence. All there, like obviously there was semen, but that doesn't mean uh, that he killed her. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a good lead, but there was no other evidence. Like, she didn't name anybody. And I think, what did I write? Uh, all there was was, like, that he was the last person really seen with her. Right. And so, how, like, why, how, uh, I, I'm kind of just lost at, like, how that yeah. actually happens investigation-wise because there's a, you know, an order of things you yeah. you know you figure out who she's dating you figure out her family you figure out who she was last seen with and then you figure out witnesses it, nothing went according to order how no. does, what i wonder kind of what the weird link is and she went to a second location and she was probably drinking a little so i can totally see you're coaxed out of a dark bar with mm. these two guys that you think you know because everything's a little fuzzy a little blurry you're just having fun mm. and then you get in their car and in you know the street lights you can see shit this fair. isn't that guy i thought it was yeah i don't know these guys um and that was completely th- no one mentioned that no mm. one the prosecution actually proved or, or, or they stated they used a police officer statement saying that McFarlane and Hawkinson knew each other prior. Mm-hmm. So that should have totally thrown out the right, fact exactly. that like she would she have said, named him. I didn't know who I these didn't guys know these were. Guys. And if they if you know, they actually did know each other before it shouldn't have been Yeah. I mean, at least it would have it should have put doubt in the jury's mind. Oh at, yeah. At least. Absolutely. And the three boys that found her who were probably scared out of their mind they stayed with her they spoke to uh, two of them spoke to her like for the fact that those two boys gave sworn statements and were not called to testify how did the defense let that happen i don't know i mean maybe it oh, wasn't, i mean it was it was withheld yeah actually. it wasn't really maybe their decision it was clearly the court's decision and how did the defense not I feel like that you have to press into that and say, well, Mm. what about these three boys? Did they give sworn statements? And I'm sure there's probably loopholes, whatever, but I'm sure if the defense says, hey, is there this thing and there is that thing, they can't (laughs) withhold it. The prosecution used hearsay. Um, They didn't have any hard physical evidence. They actually had evidence that kind of like rebutted Mm -hmm. what was happening. They didn't bring up the rabbit skin jacket. They didn't bring up Mm -hmm. the fact that the white car, blue car situation. He like, just had a bad defense attorney. I mean, yeah, he really did. If the prosecution can use hearsay, and I mean, how many cases that have we heard of where it's just like, how is this admissible again? Right. Like, what? That's true. So he just, or whoever it was, just mm, didn't do their job. Yeah. At least it seems that way. And during, I read during his appeals, um, by the time he was appealing, it was closer to 10 years later. Wow. Um, 
DNA and forensic yeah, evidence for had sure. advanced severely. The judge refused to have some of the... Uh, it's like an inside job. Right. I feel like so for some reason, this guy almost had like a hit out on mm-hmm. him. And he pissed off the wrong person and a crime went down and he was an easy target. He might not have had a lot of money. He might not have been able to hire a good... Def- Obviously, he didn't. Yeah. He wasn't able to hire a good de- attorney and... Or I was think that attorney assigned to him on purpose? Maybe, yeah, maybe. If we want to go down the super, so uh, much corrupt. There's so yeah. much corruption. I yeah. think, especially in these smaller. I mean, Tarrant County is big because it covers Fort but Worth in and the stuff. Late '80s. I mean, it was. It's still Dallas. It's still yeah. big, but you never know. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Hearst was probably small back then. Yeah, someone was hypnotized to get his true con like statement out. Like, yeah. no, yeah. Also, why wasn't, like, it just seems to me like they wanted to seal this case up real tight and, Mm -hmm. like, there's not a murderer on the loose. We got him, right, everybody? And just be done with it. Like, I just think even if he, even if he did it, even if they tested the forensics and everything, like, Mm -hmm. his appeals should not have been denied. His appeals were denied on the grounds that he could not prove that the state bungled this case and allowed things they shouldn't have and withheld things that they shouldn't have. But he should have been able to. That day, I feel like it just screams to me unfair trial, and that just is a huge gaping issue in our justice system. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, as much as we can sit here and say it should be allowed, I can see how it's not. Right. Because of the prejudice and the loopholes and the technicalities that go with appeals and just the the small, finite details that appellate lawyers have to deal with to get even something after years to present to a judge like it's insane i just (sighs) i don't uh you would think that it would be a natural progression of things but it's not right because like i feel like when you appeal something you have to show almost without like Mm -hmm. beyond reasonable doubt that something was fucked up or this was a wrong conviction whatever yeah but we see time and time again people being thrown in jail when they're is reasonable doubt it just makes me really sad that terry who you know she was young mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure she was i didn't i actually haven't even looked up a picture because i was so i this was one of the first cases that i actually read every single bit of stuff i could find on it because i was i i just felt like this was it's not wrapped up all tight for me i don't know if he did it Without mm-hmm. a reasonable doubt. Um, sure. This is why I would kind of really like to message that that yeah. guy and be like, hi, what do you oh, remember damn. from this? You were living here during this time, if anything. Like, yeah. what do you remember from this case? Um, and if he doesn't want to talk to me, he did it. <laughs> but it's I, there's, it just makes me so sad that possibly a man was put to death for a crime he didn't commit. And even sadder that this woman's murderers are probably still out there. They, like, just... We'll roll back a little. 79 times. Yeah. You rape a woman, you stab her 79 times. The amount of anger that has that feels personal to me. Oh, absolutely. So the fact that she said that she didn't know them, that means they're monsters. They're, and it had like, or they did know her, but not on like a personal level. Like, right. Like they, they keep saying a customer level where he yeah. had an infatuation. Yeah. And it was like, finally, I have you and yeah. I'm going to kill you because. I can. Yeah. I'm obsessed with you. 
You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, like a personal level doesn't always, to me at least, doesn't always have to be like, I have a personal relationship that's with true. you. It's a personal relationship in a sense of, I pay you to look sexy and I pay you to talk to me. That could be personal to someone. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, she's in contact with so many different people on a daily basis. Yeah. Just and because she had... Think about where she works. Like, a lot of right, creepy, yeah. creepy guys, a lot of drunk assholes, a lot of, like... It's just, I can't believe they didn't look into times. any other customers that had a record. Maybe they did, and we just don't know. But to frame, hypothetically, allegedly, whatever you want to call it, to frame a guy that potentially just had consensual sex with her yeah. is super unfortunate. Right. That's the issue with okay. humans doing this job, because they mm-hmm. you make an assumption about a person, and you think, that's my guy, and that's forever your guy. Like, yeah. no matter what evidence, you're always going to find a way to twist the evidence right. to not be your guy. You'll narrate the story how you want it. Yeah. And it's super suspicious that the person that was brought up as his co-defendant happened to be murdered. Mm-hmm. So that makes me, and, and since the murderer was had no connections to McFarlane and was found six years later, that just makes me really go back to the state found an easy target. Mm-hmm. They found some, oh, it was two men. Oh, his friend is dead now. Oh, got him. This is him. Right. Like, we, we have to use this guy because he's going to be easy. We can seal this up within four or five months. It would make me feel very happy to know that the person who did this to her was locked up. But if I was, if I looked into the case or if I was like the daughter of, terry's sister or Mm. something and i looked into the case later and i saw all this stuff i'd be like whoa maybe we don't have this guy and like that would just make me feel sick i personally feel like he didn't do it and the people who did are still out there and it would be interesting to me to research some more similar crimes committed around that time and see if there were more female stabbed it one day it's gonna like one day yeah. we're gonna get a crime that, like, i did that yeah <laughs> like oh and, and, and there's gonna be we'll some be weird connection yeah. like yeah but we knew the whole time fuck man he didn't get a fail tri- fair trial and uh they never do nope but we're gonna end with terry hawkinson because she did not get fair anything sorry terry sorry terry <laughs> fuck <laughs> Your turn. Uh, it is my <laughs> turn. Okay, so, um, oh, before we get started, I wanted to say, when Cassie told me who she was, or what she was doing this week, I had actually uh, kind of researched heavily a wrongful conviction, or in my mind, I thought it was a wrongful conviction. <laughs> um, so when I had first investigated that, uh, I really wanted to do it, and then I changed my mind at the last minute. So I'll do that case for another time. It would have been really funny because it had to do with hypnotism and stuff like that too. Oh so it would have been just like the most ironic episode ever. Um, but yeah, I struggled this week to find a murder that I just really loved. I, uh, I had, you know, I had one. I changed it, and I changed it again after that. And so this is what the one that I finally uh, landed on. It's not the. I'm gonna move this glass of water. It is concerning me. It's it, getting real shaky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the typical, like, gruesome and gory one that I feel like I uh, normally kind of talk about. Um, So when I first started reading about it, I honestly thought it was fictional. I pulled up an article. It was one of the first ones that I saw. And I was like, this is a book, right? Like, this is not real. So when you kind of hear about it, it sounds like a movie plot. It's kind of strange. So uh, this week, I have the story of the death of Betty Williams. And this is set in Odessa, Texas, which is basically out in the middle of nowhere yeah uh far west part of the state and this was in the 1960s 
Um, I had put on Instagram, uh, if you guys follow us on Instagram, I had posted a picture of these girls kind of set back in the 60s with these like water guns Mm -hmm. and I didn't really realize that they were holding water guns until later and it's super ironic (laughs) once I tell you the story but um, I said something about Romeo and Juliet and you'll kind of understand why. So um, according to legend, Betty Williams will appear at the windows of the school auditorium at midnight provided that students flash their headlights three times or honk their horn and called out her name. But the real Betty had attended Odessa High decades before and had acted in a number of plays on the auditorium stage. Um, The facts of her death have kind of gotten twisted around over the years. Rumors are that she had fallen off of a ladder uh, and broken her neck in the auditorium. She had hanged herself in the theater. And even one said that um, her boyfriend, who was a varsity football player, had shot her on stage during a play. Uh, None of those are true, Mm. just so you know. Um, Although renovations have taken place at the school since her death, students still feel her presence in the auditorium. There's a long list of uh, weird occurrences. So um, from flickering lights and noises that can't be explained to objects that appear uh, to move on their own. Uh, Some claim to have seen her pacing the balcony or heard her footsteps behind them only to find no one there. Um, other rumors are that um, a coach that uh, knew the real Betty is visited by her on occasion in the field house and that a former vice principal who once caught a glimpse of her after hours was so spooked by the encounter that he refused to be in the school again by himself. Um, let's see. Teacher Carl Moore, he's an art teacher, excuse me, theater arts teacher. He's quoted to say, I hear her name on a daily basis. Whenever something unexplained happens, a book falls on the floor in my classroom, or the light board goes out during a technical rehearsal, someone always jokes, it's Betty. So, precedent everything with that. (laughs) So, the students of this day clearly don't know the real story of the death of Betty Williams, and almost 60 years later, the city of Odessa will always remember this case known as the Kiss and Kill Murder. Uh, So when Ronnie White, who graduated from Odessa High the year that the murder took place, he actually uh, returned to teach history in 1978. And he was astonished to hear that students uh, were actually talking about the former drama student named Betty, whose spirit supposedly haunted the auditorium and about the popular football player who had a hand in her killing. Quote, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, he says. I thought, good Lord, they must be talking about Betty Williams. So, according to most, back when Betty was alive, was that she was relatively invisible. Not many noticed her. She stuck to herself in the background, uh, not really by her own choice, but because of her odd behavior. It kind of singled her out, and she had few friends. She was known as pretty, but nothing special. Uh, her father was a carpenter who struggled to find consistent work. Her mother worked at the dis- uh, the department store J.C. Penney. Uh, Her family really just wasn't well off, uh, and Betty struggled to kind of find her place in the world. Um, Her her parents attested to the fact that she was very defiant, and she didn't want to conform to the norms that the 60s kind of, uh, you know what I mean? Drugs and long hair and hippy-dippy. No, no, no. I mean, like how uh, the 50s were, I guess, that Uh. that was still a thing, that she didn't want to do what everyone kind of expected of her okay be the good girl she's like Arya stark who's that Mm, oh yeah game of thrones sorry uh she despised the popular girls this is really funny so 
it's, true that uh, yeah um it's like the 60s versions of the uh, plastics basically so she said that the popular girls with matching sweater sets known as the cashmere girls get the fuck out yeah it's kind of funny um <laughs> these girls sat with uh their boyfriend's letterman jackets on at football games they just never knew that she even existed uh, students in her class remembered her as a nobody, a non-entity, and someone on the outside looking in. So, kind of sad. Damn. Yeah, I know. Kind of harsh. Um, even though the rejection from the popular crowd and basically the entire student body hurt Betty's feelings, she really thought of herself as an individual and intelligent. She seemed to be starved for attention when it came to everything, and she tried to express her modern opinions whenever she had the chance. She was very outspoken and wasn't, you know, like I said earlier, the typical good girl that the 60s had really instilled in most women. Uh, she once wrote, quote, there are people willing to be my friends, but mostly they are either too ignorant to understand why I'm like I am and conse- consequently offer my mind no challenge or they haven't the wits to match mine, which uh, she was kind of an arrogant asshole. Yeah, for sure. But at the but same she's time, I kind of respect that because it's like. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I'm over high school. High school is the worst. Yeah. All these people are idiots. These like, people are so, like you said earlier, vapid. Just yeah. very superficial. Yeah. Um, while she planned to, uh, or excuse me, while she aspired to one day appear on the Broadway stage, in the meantime, she planned to kind of uh, do what she could, and she just lived at home. Uh, she wanted to just stay there after graduation and attend Odessa College. She kind of knew that that was in her future. She wasn't really going to go anywhere else. Um, I honestly, I kind of admire Betty. You know, she stood out from the crowd. She kind of, in my mind, she was like the OG goth girl. Okay, um, yeah. Very much yeah. like Cassie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the boy that would steal and ruin the heart of Betty Williams was Mac Herring. Um, he wasn't necessarily the popular guy, but he was more affluent. and He was a part of the, quote, in crowd. Uh, he was tall, good-looking, uh, jet black hair. He was a guy's guy, uh, quiet, self-contained. He enjoyed hunting, spending time outside. Uh, I feel like he was the strong, silent type that was kind of mysterious and sweet or like the uh, the good guy in the group of like douchebags. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Always like that one. Um, uh, although Mac was near the top of the high school sort of cast system and Betty was at the bottom, they actually managed to strike up a friendship uh, when she was a junior and he was a sophomore. Um, he seemed more sensitive than the other boys that she knew, and she thought there was something lonely and romantic about him. And in the summer of 1960, they started dating, and Betty actually started to wonder if she might be falling in love. Um, uh, unfortunately, Mac seemed to be a little bit embarrassed by dating Betty. Yeah. I'll post a picture of her. She's actually really pretty. Uh, I know that people said she was nothing special, but I think she was actually really cute. Mm. Um, He was careful to be discreet about the time that they spent together. He never took Betty to his neighbor's house where the in crowd was known to kind of hang out. He never gave her his letterman's jacket or brought her home to meet his parents. Mm. Um, Yeah. Mm, What a dick. Yeah. I I mean, back then... You know, image was everything. You know what I mean? So um, Betty had been known to sneak out of her house and meet up with guys in her school for sex after they had dropped off their more sexually reserved girlfriends for the evening. Um, Perhaps this had to do with him hiding their relationship on top of the fact that they were kind of on two, you know, totally different social levels. Yeah. Um, 
Betty made a fatal mistake when she cheated on Mac with his friend after catching on to the fact that he kept uh, their relationship a secret. Um, and I'm going to pronounce this girl's name wrong. I asked my mom how to pronounce it. I Googled it. I still don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But he broke up with Betty by the fall and began dating a pretty redhead named Amike. Uh, it's supposed to be Italian. A-M-I-C-A-E. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, quote, I've, yeah, <laughs> I've never been so humiliated and torn to pieces as I am now. I feel so lonely and deserted. I don't care what happens now or ever. This is pure hell. She is this wrote, in her diary? Yeah. She oh. wrote this. Well, she wrote that to a friend, actually. Uh, I'll read another letter from her, but she's known to keep diaries, and I'll mention that later. Um, but yeah, she's uh, she's a bit dramatic. Okay. Uh, just preface that. Hmm. Uh, so she was also delivered a pretty big blow when she found out that the drama teacher that year didn't have any plans to cast her in any of the plays or musicals that year. She still attended practices for the upcoming plays and participated in the drama program, you know, where she could. But it was really difficult for her because Mac was also a part of the drama team and he had actually been cast in a play that or he had been cast as lead in a play that she had been dying to be in like all year. So, you know, she had been dumped by the guy she was uh, so in love with. And now she saw no opportunities that year involving her love of acting. Um, you know, I've definitely been there. Not necessarily, you know, exactly with like the drama class stuff and whatnot. But I I know what it's like to feel like everything, you know, everything that's happening is bad. And yeah, it's all at once and nothing will ever go right. Um, so I think everyone can kind of relate to that in a yeah. sense. Um, Betty began to feel hopeless. She said to say that Mac was the one and without him, life wasn't worth living. She said she wanted to die if she couldn't be with Mac. So things just got extra worse for Betty. Her father discovered her journal filled with entries about her experience with boys. Uh, Her home life became unbearable. And by the winter, Betty had started telling friends that she would be better off dead. Quote, heaven must be a nice place, she told a fellow classmate. Uh, She claimed to have half-heartedly tried to kill herself by taking four aspirin, which... I take four aspirin every single day. <laughs> yeah, come on, girl. Um, she boasted of climbing up to the auditorium rafters, intending to throw herself onto the stage below, only to find that she lacked the courage. Uh, Betty talked about wanting to die to uh, basically whoever would listen. Um, but the only reaction she was able to provoke was a few eye rolls, and the response was always the same. There goes Betty trying to be the center of attention. Mm. Kind of sad. Um, yeah, I'm writing things about that. <laughs> <laughs> she informed at least, at least five students working on the play that she wanted to kill herself but didn't have the nerve and asked if they would be killing, excuse me, would be willing to do it for her. Uh, and then one night she approached Mac with the idea of him killing her. Uh, she said she would hold the gun to her head while he pulled the trigger. Mac laughed at the absurdity of the idea, and Betty kind of laughed with him, not to seem super awkward, just kind of like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, I'm totally kidding, kidding. it's fine, it's fine. Um, She went uh, as far as to write out a note clearing him of culpability if he were to be arrested for her murder, and a few days later, Betty told her theater friend, Mike, quote, it's been nice knowing you. I finally talked Mac into killing me. Mike shrugged and said, I'll send roses. <laughs> like, oh, that's so like, 
it's like the girl who cried wolf. Like no yeah. one took her seriously, and it's super. I think it's super sad, at least. But that's I, my opinion. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> so two days later, March twenty second, nineteen sixty one. The Odessa Police Department received a frantic phone call from Mary Williams, who reported that her daughter was missing. The police get a story from a student who had given Betty a ride the night before. He said Mac met them in an alleyway and left with Betty in his Jeep. Mac was then brought in by officers for questioning. He claims he had dropped Betty off outside her parents' house around midnight and he hadn't seen her since. But after inconsistencies surfaced, he finally cracked. Um, He says that Betty had begged him to kill her. All he had done was carry out her wishes. Um, He claimed to have committed the crime with a 12-gauge shotgun that Betty herself had picked out. Uh, Mac led officer... This is when it gets real good. (laughs) Uh, Doesn't it sound like a movie plot? No? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like you can picture like the slick back hair and the outfits and everything. Oh my God. Um, Mac led officers to his father's hunting lease about 26 miles northwest of town. They turned off the highway onto a winding dirt road and continued until Mac directed them to stop. Uh, he showed them where his and Betty's footsteps led down a steep incline to a, they say, stocked tank, um, but the rest of the article leads me to believe more like stock pond. My dad lived on kind of a farm ranch situation for a while, and there were multiple stock ponds. When you look up stock tank, it's completely different. It's like okay. what you uh, breed fish in, but I'm 99% sure based on what the rest of he talks about, it's a stock pond. So it's just like a man-made pond full of fish, basically. Okay. I could be wrong, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he took her down to a stock pond. So beside the water, the the ground was spattered with blood. Mac told investigators that he had shot Betty next to the water, weighted her down, and submerged her body. Uh, unsure, this is just insane to me, unsure of the exact location of the body in the water, officers asked Mac if he would retrieve it. <laughs> this was odd to me, like, why would you disrupt a potential crime scene? But, yeah. you know, it was 61. So Go fetch. Whatever. Yeah. What? <laughs> Go fetch. Nice. So he stripped off his letterman's jacket, his shoes, jeans, socks, everything. He waded out into the water until it came about to his chest. Um, when he reached the center, he dove under and um, came back up. He began, he began swimming back toward land. Uh, dragging an object that appeared to be very heavy. When he was near the water's edge, Odessa police detective Fred Johnson could see that he was holding a pair of human feet. Uh, Johnson advised him to leave the body, which was still clad in pale pink pajamas in the water. Betty had two lead weights tied around her waist, and she had been partially decapitated by a single gunshot blast to the head. Uh, So this is a quote from a cop on the scene. Mac, didn't you expect to get caught? And he said, not this quick. And the cop said, he showed no emotion or regret or fear. It was like he was talking about shooting a dog. So Mac gives an interview for Odessa American and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He said he parked his Jeep a short distance from the water, and he and Betty had sat there for a while and talked. Quote, she was happy. She kept saying what it was going to be like to be in heaven. Then they had walked down to the pond together. Uh, This is weird to me. Shivering, Betty had hurried back to the Jeep to retrieve a sweater. Uh, 
um, like you're about to die, but why would you care? Better go grab a sweater, yeah, just in case. God. Um, so she returned to the spot where Mac was waiting for her, um, and she took off her shoes. Mac told reporters, "Quote: I just stood there with the gun and said, give me a kiss to remember you by." She gave me a kiss and then said, "Thank you, Mac. I will always remember you for that." Well, <laughs> then she said, "Now." I raised the gun barrel up, and she took a hold of it with the back of her hand and held it up to her temple, and then I pulled the trigger. She was dead, like that. He snapped his fingers for emphasis. Uh, a fellow student said, we were, shocked to, uh, we were shocked that one of our own, a popular football player who had been to our parties and dated our friends, had committed a heinous crime. Um, despite the gruesomeness of the crime and first-degree murder charges that were filed against him, Mac was not ostracized by his peers. Um, rather than seeing him as a killer, many classmates acted if something tragic that was beyond his control had befallen him. Uh, so this is interesting. So her cousin, who goes on to actually write a book about Betty's death, this is like super rad to me. Yeah. Um, he says, quote, she was seen as a slut and a diabolical manipulator. And my father actually overheard a customer at his car wash say, everyone knew that girl was no good. She tricked that boy into killing her. People wondered, had she really wanted to die or was she still hoping somehow to win Mac back? They said Betty had trapped herself in a real-life drama of her own making. She was ad-libbing all the way, and it spun out of her control. A student remembers a teacher taking them aside afterwards and asking, was Betty pregnant? And they responded, no, I wish it were that simple. It was a game of chicken, and she never backed out. Her tri- or, excuse me, His trial would start in February of 62. Mac's own confession painted a picture of a methodically planned murder. Before driving Betty half an hour out of town and shooting her point blank in the head, he had, by, an, by his own admission, bought lead weights, rope, shotgun shells, and even a miner's helmet to light his way so he could submerge her body in the water. Mm. Uh, Mac's defense attorney, Warren Burnett, came up with a plan that he hoped would prevent Mac from ever standing trial for murder using a defense strategy that had never, to anyone's recollection, been used before. Uh, this is super uh, interesting to me. I feel like this is a loophole that I don't really know has ever been used, <laughs> but it's kind of cool. Uh, so under Texas law, maybe back then, I don't know now, uh, if jurors found a defendant temporarily temporarily insane, that is insane only when com- he committed the crime, he would walk free. So jurors would have to first evaluate Mac's sanity at the time he pulled the trigger and if they determined that he had been temporarily insane, he should not have to stand trial for his murder. It was shocking when even after the countless objections of the prosecution, uh, a judge named Judge Olson granted Burnett's motion for the pretrial hearing. So it wasn't, it was just kind of like a grand jury type situation, basically, of trying to get all the information and see what they're going to try him for, basically. Okay. Um, so jurors would not determine Mac's guilt or innocence. They would only render a decision as to whether he had been insane at the time of the crime. Mac, in turn, would have a chance at acquittal before his murder trial would even begin. Yeah. So because the murder had occurred just across the Ector County line, the hearing took place in Kermit, which is about an hour away from Odessa. It's pretty close to the New Mexico border. So with no people that knew either? Right. Well, yes and no. Okay. I I don't know. I'm not sure what Kermit was like in the 60s. Kermit, Um, Jesus God. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Quote, it was a carnival, says former Winkler County clerk Virginia Healy. Quote, the defendant, this is funny. 
sorry, the defendant was a good-looking boy, and all these clean-cut girls came out from Odessa to ooh and ah over him. They were nicknamed Max Girls. Oh, God. Evidently, they were just a small portion of the people that came out to support him. Like, the whole courtroom was full of people that were there for him. Um, <sighs> Betty's parents were her only visible supporters, which is Oh, yeah. yeah, it is sad. Um, this is kind of funny. So arguing for the state was 32-year-old District Attorney Dan Sullivan. Uh, he had only been in office for about 16 months, and he had mainly prosecuted oiled field, oiled field theft cases and DWIs. Oh, good. So he's qualified. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great, 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 great. Um, the first person Burnett would call to the stand was actually Mac's father. So uh, Burnett was his defense attorney, just for reiteration. Uh, so Mac's father told the jury that on the day of his son's arrest, uh, Mac had handed him a letter that Betty had written. The letter, which Mr. Herring read to the jury, said that Betty alone was to blame for her death. Um, along with that, nine character witnesses, including Odessa's uh, Odessa High's head football coach, woohoo, Stop it with the woohoo. <laughs> Testified for Mac. Um, many of them concurred that Mac must have been temporarily insane at the time of the crime. Uh, three classmates also testified that Betty had asked them to kill her. Uh, the most compelling testimony came from Marvin Grice, an Odessa psychiatrist who had examined Mac three days after the murder. He said Mac had, quote, been dethroned of his reasoning by Betty's pleadings and in his estimation had been temporarily insane when he put the shotgun to her head. Uh, He became so mixed up and so sick that he felt pulling the trigger was what he should do for her. He was deprived of the power of applying logic. However, the effects of this gross stress reaction, is what he says, Hmm. uh, were temporary. He can be trusted to lead a normal life. Uh, the prosecution tried to establish jealousy as a motive by calling to the stand Bill Rose. This is the guy that Betty had had sex with when she was dating Mac. Uh, you know, did the whole cheating thing to kind of get back at him. Yeah. Um, but Bill testified that he had actually rejected Betty's advances and that he maintained that the incident had pretty much zero effect on Mac. And he's quoted saying, we talked a while and agreed our friendship was more valuable than an argument about her. We shook hands and forgot the whole thing. Uh, so as hard as the prosecution tried, he could not establish motive. Wow. Um, in a strange turn of events, uh, the defense calls. So his defense attorney, Warren Burnett, calls Mac up to the stand. Um, kind of that not planned. Happen. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't like it was a secret plan. Like we're going to spring this on someone. Like mm-hmm. he was the only one that knew he was going to do this. And so Mac is just like, what the fuck? And he immediately says, pass the witness. And so Mac is pretty much just like on the spot and has to answer the questions that this, you know, not super qualified prosecutor has to ask him. Right. Um, this, you know, was most likely to throw off the prosecution. Um, he pressed Mac and he said, explain at what moment um, exactly had he decided to kill Betty? Quote, I don't know. I can't remember. I can't explain. I stayed awake at night trying to think so I could explain it to other people. Sometimes now I think it was a dream. Sometimes I think it was real. Sometimes I think I'm watching someone else. Mac maintained that her pleas had had a profound effect on him, but he had talked about heaven a lot, he said, and had made it appear like a place you could reach out and touch. He explained that on the night he killed her, he had believed that he was doing the right thing but in retrospect he told the jury i know that everything about it was wrong 
after 11 hours of deliberation, during which jurors asked that the psychiatrist's expert testimony be read back to them, they then determined that Mac had in fact been temporarily insane on the night of the murder. Upon hearing the verdict, Mac slumped in his chair and wept while friends and classmates rushed to his side to embrace him. Betty's parents slipped out of the courtroom before reporters could reach them for comment. So interesting kind of side note, a little flip side perspective. Some people in town, um, they kind of see it as if Betty's transgressions had kind of overshadowed those of Mac who killed her. You know, uh, someone's quoted saying nobody talked about how Mac could have said no Mm -hmm. and that Betty had enlisted him to do what she didn't have the courage to do herself. She had roped him into doing it. She uh, she had then become not the victim, but the villain. Um, And then. Uh, weirdly enough on not weirdly but interestingly enough on June 27th 1962 appeals were granted and a new trial was ordered Whoa! yeah so because of intense publicity they moved the second trial out to Beaumont which is a little bit closer to Houston so much further away than Odessa about 600 miles or so yeah um kind of fast forward a little bit so in his closing argument Burnett would deliver um a full house courtroom uh he hammered home the fact that nearly two years after betty's murder the prosecution still hadn't established motive like there was no there was no evidence there was nothing that they could give um and jurors agreed and they once again found mac not guilty by reason of insanity wow yeah so a little bit about mac um after attending texas tech university out in lubbock he was actually once introduced to a class as the famous Mac Herring. Kind of embarrassing, on the, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, he graduated there. He returned home to the town that never turned its back on him. He made a quiet, quiet life for himself. He kind of stayed away from uh, trouble and law enforcement. He married and divorced twice. He worked as a dock foreman at a chemical company, a carpenter, a welder. And he was an electrician for about 25 years. A few of his former classmates still see him. Most have moved away and fallen out of touch. Uh, And Mac's story with Betty had faded into the background, or has faded into the background. Um, Quote, this has not been a free ride for Mac, says his childhood friend. It ruined two lives. One's dead and one's still alive. And because many people in town would prefer never to hear the words kiss and kill again, this case still touches a nerve. So this is kind of a fun uh, little ending to this, this little ghost story here. So the stories at Odessa High School still live on. In October, an Odessa College student named Sammy Sanchez, she was researching a paper that she had to present to her speech class, and it was about the best place to spend Halloween. Uh, she actually received permission to spend the night in the high school's auditorium. Huh. Yeah, and she and her friends claim a door had mysteriously slammed close behind them. There were eerie footsteps. The stage lights would move when when and where they did. Um, and then after two hours in the auditorium, she and her friends were so unnerved and so certain that they had felt Betty's presence that they decided to leave. Um, this is kind of a sweet little ending, but first, um, they did what they assumed any drama girl would have wanted. Quote, we let Betty know she was the star. We sat there in the theater seats in the dark and we applauded for her. Hmm. That is kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to read this like sad. Read it. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the notes of many that were in this article. Um, it's really, really sad. They kind of just... I want to kind of give a perspective on Betty because 
it's clearly been portrayed that she was, and I, I even write later that she was a bit of a drama queen. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're not a person. Right. It's very typical high school girl. Yes. Uh, so, Mac, well, I guess you accomplished what you set out to do. You hurt me more than you'll ever know. When you handed me that note this morning, you virtually changed the course of my life. I don't know what I expected the note to say, but not that. I'll waste my time, or excuse me, I'll not waste my time saying that I didn't deserve it because I guess I did. I've never been so hurt in my life, and I guess your note was the jolt I needed to get me back on the straight and narrow. I've done a lot of things I know that were bad and cheap, but I swear before God that I didn't mean them to be like that. I was just showing off. I know it's much too late with you, Mac, but I swear that another boy won't get the chance to say what you said to me. You've made me realize that instead of being smart and sophisticated like I thought, I was only being cheap and ugly and whorish. Forgive me for writing this last note and thank you for reading it. I'll not trouble you again, Mac. Or I'll not trouble you again. And Mac, I haven't forgotten the good times we had. I really have enjoyed knowing you and I'm awfully sorry that it had to end this way. Best of luck with your steady girlfriend. I hope she's the best. Betty. P.S. When you think of me, try to think of the good times we had and not of this. So. That's like a really well-written, like, I really like yeah. that note. I know. It's super sad. Wait, was that the note that she gave to him? Yeah. They kind of leave out, I guess, according to this, he gave her a breakup note, I okay. guess, is how it went down. Um, it just says, you know, he broke up with her, but um, I guess that's kind of how he went about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was her response. There were other, she was known to pass notes in study hall. It was kind of her thing, how she would kind of communicate with her very few friends. And she was very eloquent in how she spoke. And she was, uh, I feel like for her age, at least relatively educated. I feel like we all knew that person that was a little above their time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, we can move into questions and theories, but um, for me, I feel like it was pretty clear that Betty struggled with insecurities, you know, as well as we all do. Um, She had a really restrictive home life. It it mentions that her parents were very religious um, and she just she had a personality that didn't want to be told what to do. She was an obvious free thinker and those thoughts kind of got her into trouble and really separated from her from the rest of her of her peers. you know, she found a guy who didn't just want to have sex with her. You know, he was kind, even though he was deceitful about their relationship. He he treated her maybe better than the rest of the guys she had slept with. Right. You know, he didn't just have sex with her. He actually spent time with her. Yeah. Um, I feel like the story is really tragic, but very, also, very relatable. Um, it shows young love and emotions that, although seem so naive and meaning, they're still so pure and real and... Like I put on the Instagram, it's a true Romeo and Juliet story with kind of a hint of mystery. And um, I do think that Betty was a drama queen, like I said. But I I do think that she wanted to die. Yes. I think she was just a really sad girl who wanted to be noticed for the right reasons and to feel love that she didn't really receive at home or school. And I think that when someone like that finally experiences that kind of feeling and then it goes away, that manic depressive response is very probably pretty natural. Yeah. I think they both felt, Mac and Betty felt uncomfortable in their skin. You know, they wanted to fit in in different ways and felt left out in others and maybe felt the compatibility sort of. Okay. They, they knew how each other was feeling sort yep. of inside. Um, I think she writes that uh, that she felt like they were kindred spirits. Mm. And that I think that part really resonated with me. I think yeah. that that's kind of why he helped her and her life because I think deep down – he knew it's what she wanted. Um, it doesn't make it right, but I think on some level when 
emotions and love take over anyone that's capable of anything. Yeah. But I don't, what do you think? Do you think he planned it? Do you think he knew that that's, it was an easy way to get rid of an ex, someone that was a Klingon or, you know what I mean? I, I think that theory is possible. I, it is possible. I think you're right. Like he knew she wanted to die mm-hmm. and she wanted to die because we've, all been there depressed teenager like your life is over everything's pissed at you yeah and like you're not having success in school mm -hmm. and most teenagers hopefully are lucky enough to like come out of that Mm -hmm. slump in a couple of days and like you don't want to die but she was very progressive and thinking like nowadays she would just be a normal girl like back then she was seen as like this dirty whore like a hooker mm-hmm. a prostitute because very religious part of texas yeah the and 60s. no one talked about anything everyone right. hid mental illness they hid sexuality oh, yeah. they so didn't she talk couldn't, about any of that yeah and and that's why nobody like you know if he pulled the trigger and he did premeditate it i wrote that huge mm-hmm. huge letters he premeditated it because he got the supplies he got the things needed he had every chance to say no every chance to leave her every chance to tell somebody yeah that's a good point then again so did all the other people Mm -hmm. that she said i'm gonna kill myself i Mm want to kill myself and just talked about it in a romanticized way and when you are romanticizing death like that's a really dangerous thing because no one really knows like you can think there's a heaven and if that gives you peace that's fine but that's not meant to like there are some Christians that believe if you kill yourself, you won't go to heaven. Right, right, so, because right. heaven is not meant to just like, oh, just yeah, just end it, go to heaven if yeah. you're unhappy. Like easy way out. So, I think that back then, it I don't know, suicide was again one of those things you don't talk about. Yeah, either. and I wish it would have been because if he, I think he should have gotten jail time. He pulled the trigger. Yeah, I, I think he should have gotten jail time because you. But, I mean, he didn't even go to trial for anything. That's it true. was just the hearing. It was just like. That's true. It was the, the stuff that you submit saying, is this admissible or is it not? This is what we're going to court for. And the judge says, okay. And this that's the time where they're like, like in your instance, like this person's testimony is not okay to talk about. This person's testimony right. is. And so that defense attorney, like hats off to him oh yeah he did a great job that's crazy to me and to win it twice yeah um again 1960s i don't want to say anything goes but like it wasn't as sophisticated as maybe now but but they've seen i don't know if anyone would get away with that kind of thing today i mean well no because we know we know what premeditation looks like Mm -hmm. if they're like um sorry your i don't girlfriend know said to kill you or to kill me but like no you did it you went and got the yeah. things yeah like deanna laney yeah she hit a rock in her baby's crib mm-hmm. that's premeditation yeah. to me she she shouldn't have been she shouldn't have got the insanity plea he basically got an insanity plea mm-hmm. and walked away like at but that point his... you need to have if you're getting insanity just the fact that he got to walk away is crazy like you should get you medical still need a trial or, or something. Trial yeah. or medical care, yeah. yeah. Something, because that's, I mean, you're obviously a... But look at him, like, pre and post. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a normal guy. I mean, yeah, you could go down the road of, like, he was too quiet. He was too reserved. He was maybe super creepy, and mm-hmm. we just didn't know. But then look at him afterwards. He was normal as it could get, you know? And he yeah. had no uh, problem with the law since then. Yeah. 
I, so I, I don't know. I do think that she maybe coerced him and preyed on his, like, she was probably smarter than him. Mm-hmm. And she preyed on that, and that was wrong of her, but then again, he pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. So... He was just as sad as she was. I think so. And I wondered if they had discussed this during their relationship, if they had discussed a romanticism with death, and if they found any sort of kindred... I don't think that, from what I read at least, I think when they were together, she was super happy. And it was just kind of after where she was just like, my life's over. Yeah. You know, I I just, nothing can go right. It's the end of the world, just like how high school is for everyone. Yeah. And I think that played a part in his reaction, too, of like guilt, maybe, or or, I don't know. It, It was... I still feel like it's a movie plot. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. It's crazy to me that people would actually do something like yeah. that, but... Because, like, he felt... He probably felt like he was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But ending someone's life is never the right thing to do. I know that psychiatry was on the... Uh, or was in its infancy, I guess, yeah. in the 60s. There was a lot of great things happening with uh, behavioral analysis and sex education and things like that in the 60s, but... Uh, this kind of thing wasn't necessarily on the brink of anything amazing. Yeah. And so it was all Freud and, you know, stuff that people just weren't really buying. And so I wish <clears throat> that maybe she had been able to seek some help. It wouldn't have turned out that way. So Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's happening. Cringe. How are you? How do you? How do you? How do you handle that? I hate Thanksgiving with a passion. I I don't like it. I feel like it's an excuse to binge eat and talk to people you don't want to talk to and wear Mm -hmm. nice clothes that no one gets to see. And last year I had a full vegan Thanksgiving. I thought it was wonderful. I'll brag about it till the day I die because I thought it was amazing and I don't care. (laughs) Uh, This year I'm making pasta. Okay. I'm not going to go spend money and do the big shindig as much as I want to because I do enjoy Thanksgiving food. I'll tell you that. But yeah. I just hate the uh, reasoning behind it. I'm not going to go all political and be like, the Native oh. Americans and blah, blah, blah. Because that yeah. is tragic, but I'm not going to go there because I'm not educated enough to like give you an actual, uh, whatever, Synopsis. educated reference. Yeah, thank you. Um, so pasta it is. I'm going to, ha- we're going to do our Christmas tree. My birth, my, my birthday, my mom's birthday is a few days after. Oh, So we're perfect. just going to kind of like maybe do like two and one, watch a Christmas movie, mm-hmm. start the Christmas celebration. I love Thanksgiving food, even I mean, though I'm picky. So I yeah. literally eat leftover. My I mom love is carbs. like, oh, forever. My family, we're just going over to their house and they're grilling and we're making baked potatoes and we're just going to watch Christmas movies. Yeah, because it's yes. our first Thanksgiving without my brother and we're just oh. going to pretend it's not Thanksgiving. We're just going to yeah. like say fuck it. So I get a lot of like <laughs> cool family time and... Happy no fucks giving, everybody. <laughs> so, wrapping it Wrap up. Wrap it up. So, uh, thanks, guys, for listening. We both hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I go check it every other day. It really, like, makes me happy when I see new reviews and stuff. It's super cute and fun. We love you. And <laughs> please check out our social media for photos on these cases. <laughs> Uh, links to our sources will be put in the show notes if you guys want some more information and we will be back in two weeks with more Texas True Crime and if anyone's listening Happy Happy Halloween. Halloween!